Welcome to the IFI podcast from the Irish Film Institute. I'm Stephen Boylan, and this is the first in our new season of IFI podcasts we're making available during the current COVID-19 lockdown. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Irish Film Institute, or on Twitter at IFI underscore dub. It's hard to believe that it's almost a year since the IFI's initial closure in March 2020, and that we're still shut out from our beloved screens. IFI reopened briefly at the end of August for a month, and again in the period immediately before Christmas, but current restrictions mean that all cultural institutions are now closed until the end of January at the earliest. The closures have had far-reaching consequences across all areas of the film industry, including production, distribution, exhibition, as well as writers, crew members, journalists, and has even had a huge knock-on effect to all those glitzy award shows that usually take place at this time of the year. In this episode, we wanted to ease you back in with a bit of a fireside chat. We're going to look back at 2020, but also look forward to 2021, examining how cinema might change in the year ahead, as well as the highlights we're looking forward to in the next 12 months. Joining me are Brian Lloyd, Movies Editor of Entertainment.ie, and Aoife Barry, Assistant News Editor and All-Round Culture Vulture from the Journal.ie. Let's start with 2020 and the year that was. Brian, you'd obviously be used to watching a lot of films during the year, but I just wonder, with the cinemas closed, did your viewing habits change during the year? Did you notice a shift in what you were watching or what you were doing? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I uh, I think what I, I think what a lot of people have done, and certainly I've done, is is that each time the country goes into lockdown, it's like right, okay, I'm going to pick myself a TV series and I'm going to spend the entire lockdown watching it. And the first lockdown I watched uh, lost the uh, TV series from the 2000s, and just because I I had never seen it before, my wife did, and uh, she recommended it, and I said, fine, let's watch that. The second lockdown. I started watching a lot of BBC miniseries. I watched Gary Hadji. I watched Back to Life. And now this current season, I've gone, or this, sorry, this current lockdown, I should say, I've gone way, way back. And now I'm watching all the episodes of Colombo. Oh, old school. Um, me yeah, too. No, me too. It's, yeah, but that's, it's, 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 that's it. Like, and it's funny because like people have been talking a lot about in lockdown about how uh, we're going back to comfort movies or we're going back to comfort TV shows. And to be honest, I, I don't find anything wrong with that because, I mean, it's been a tough year. It's been a really grueling year. So I think anything that alleviates, you know, the glumness and the kind of the monotony of it all, anything that you can find any kind of comfort in, I'm totally for. Like, I do not begrudge anyone any kind of like guilty pleasures. Even in normal times, I wouldn't begrudge anyone a guilty pleasure. But especially now, like if you're watching just absolute dross, like, I don't know, Love Island or The Cabins or whatever it is, fine. If that gets you out of it, 100%. I find don't necessarily want to watch movies because I get kind of melancholic about it. If you know what I mean? I'm like, God, I watch, I wish it was in the cinema watching this. And like, even this, yeah. even the press screenings I've gone to, I'm so aware of it, how rare it is that I can't almost kind of switch off and just zone out, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different world now. I mean, I think I've been to the cinema three times since COVID um, happened so I think it was Tenet and then I went to see the Max Richter documentary and then went to see Mank and it's just such a different experience you're so much more conscious of everything happening around you so you don't get that like escapism that you normally get when you go to the cinema so um, like I think I just kind of going to what I did for the year I'm trying to even like I was trying to remember what I did or what I watched and it's actually been really hard to kind of look back because I feel like the start of 
um I suppose years for me is kind of broken into like for everybody you know the cinema time and then the like post cinema world where everything just kind of blended into this weird kind of situation I feel like the start of the year was so exciting like we were all like I'm sure you were the exact same so excited to see Parasite and Uncut Gems and all these great films that were coming out and I felt like I had all these great moments with my friends you know where I like we all went to the cinema together and went for a drink beforehand or after or both and it was all great um and then we had the Dublin Film Festival and it was like this is gonna be a really good year and then Covid happened and it was like oh god things are just completely different and strange now um and I found myself going towards some comfort watches definitely as well um I don't I didn't watch as much TV at all really this year for some reason. Um did watch some kind of series, but I found I find because I, I started reading um kind of belatedly Easy Riders Raging Bulls, um, the Peter Biskin book that was sitting on my uh, bookshelf for years and I hadn't read it because it's about 500 pages and uh, I used to kind of early lockdown to read that and then was listening at the around the same time to the Polly Platt season um, of the podcast you must remember this and um, obviously she was married to Peter Bogdanovich and they're mentioned a lot in that book so it's all about the new Hollywood era and so I was thinking a lot about the 70s kind of at that time so I went back and watched stuff that I hadn't seen that's like classic films or stuff that like slipped through kind of the net and then I went through a bit of a Cassavetes phase which is kind of really depressing but also led me to like majorly depressing probably shows my state of mind for a bit of, of uh, early lockdown and then that led me on to like the whole Columbo thing realizing there is um, a channel on my tv that I could watch Columbo all day on Sundays <laughs> and and so I'm now completely like obsessed um so yeah it's been it's been a very weird year but I think um a few comfort things that I watched then like you know on the rocks like newer films like on the rocks and palm springs that like were nice and comforting and I kind of didn't mind that I didn't get the cinema to see them I felt like they worked really well just at home streaming them and that that was grand um I think I ended the year with my mum who loves watching films as well and we just went through a load of films um you know over Christmas but we also spent about an hour every night going what are we going to watch which kind of kills the joy a little bit sometimes we, we didn't reach the dizzy heights of Columbo here we did have a, a quick uh, look back to heart to heart oh, which wow. is it's which is definitely not as good as you remember it. <laughs> um, but I think you're right I mean I remember like the timing was absolutely perfect because we went uh, we opened Parasite on the 7th of February the Friday which was the Friday before the Oscars and that opening night at the six o'clock showing where it had sold out like you know a, you know a good week in advance and just the buzz in the cinema of people going, yes, like this is the film that everybody's been talking about and getting to see it. It's that buzz that's just been so missed. Totally. Like, I feel like releases like punctuate, like cinema releases punctuate the year for you. You know what I mean? Because like you're like, it's different to like a book release or, or an album release where everybody can kind of access them generally. But you like have to go to the cinema to watch a new film release generally, you know, so you, you're kind of looking forward to it. You're waiting for the release date. You get to go see it and then you get to discuss it afterwards and keep your cinema ticket if you really loved it and stuff. And not having that has just been so bizarre. It is that thing, isn't it? Like you were just you were talking there about on the rocks and like it was a lovely film. I, I, I really did enjoy it. And I thought I thought, you know, like Sophia Coppola knows how to do those kind of hangout movies really mm. well. But at the same time, there are certain films that I watched uh, over the over lockdown that it was like, I wish I had seen this in a cinema because you know, there are certain films I think, and I'm not talking about big huge blockbusters like, you know. Wonder Woman 1984 or Avengers Endgame or any of those kind of stuff. I'm talking more about something like The Lighthouse, for example. Oh, yeah. 
where you have to be locked in a room with it. Like you have to be like, literally they have to shut the doors and there has to be no distractions and you have to just give it your full attention. And I'm not just saying this because it was the IFI, but one of the examples I would use of that kind of idea is I saw the neon demon in, I think it was the upstairs. Was it that cinema two or three? Uh, the the smaller one is cinema yeah, three. Yeah, the orange one. Yeah, cinema three. I saw yeah. the neon demon in, in cinema three. And I remember I walked out of it and I was like, if I had watched that at home, I probably would have paused it about 10 times to get up and make a cup of tea or check my phone or do something. But the fact that I was locked in a room with it and I had nothing else but to give it my full attention made the experience that much better. Mm. And you were saying, Eva, about how like when you know when you walk out of a cinema and it really punctuates it and then you talk about it and you digest it. Mm. When you're watching it at home, like yeah, you can have kind of conversations or whatever, but at the same time, it just, it's that kind of communal experience, you know, that kind of way. Everyone is walking out and everyone is feeling, at least more often than not, everyone else is feeling the same thing. Everyone else is having the same experience that you have. And I think, you know, like we talk about like social drought that lockdown has, has had on people, you know, okay, fine. Yeah, not being able to have a drink afterwards, not being able to go for a meal, people not being able to have the weddings that they want and so on. Like even just the idea of everyone sitting down and experiencing the same feeling in a, in a cinema is something that I will never take for granted again. Genuinely, I will never take it for granted again. Yeah, same here. Like I think, you know, we've probably all had those experiences where you go to a film and you just have this really emotional reaction to it. And, and you know, you get to sit next to your friend or close to people while you're having that. Like I remember seeing The Souvenir, I think, was it last year? Sorry, 2019, the year before last that came out. And it just moved me like so much for whatever reason. I like burst into tears at the end of it. And I was sitting next to one of my best friends and he was like, okay and I just thought you know this is bizarre to have like a really emotional reaction in one way but it was really lovely kind of moment and we were kind of laughing about it and we went to see portrait of a lady on fire together as well and turned around at the end of it went oh my god that was amazing and it's those moments that like you don't get when your friends are sitting three seats away from you and you know you're all afraid to be near each other and stuff and I think that's just kind of waiting for that moment to come back is actually kind of a little bit sad, you know, like when will we see those things happening again? Yeah. And I, I think what I realized as well is that, that, that kind of social interaction after the film mm. is so important. Like we went to see Tenet of all the films that you need to have a chat about after you've seen it. <laughs> yeah. And like we walked, like there was four of us went to see it. We walked out of the screen and then it was like, okay, well, um, sure. We'll talk to you again soon. And there, that, <sighs> that kind of having that drink and then having that kind of going back through the film and replaying it and, and, finding the bits that you missed and that somebody else missed it's it was a real gap this year <laughs> if ever if ever there was a film that you needed to rip apart over a pint that's yeah. tenet like because i mean look i don't know how any of you felt about it but i walked out of that film with a headache and i have enjoyed christopher nolan's films in the past and i know that he's one of these directors that just likes to con- not even confuse people but he likes to get people thinking oh, I don't know, in like three dimensions and it's, oh no, you got to look at it backwards and forwards. And like, I, I, even in, it was a terrible film to release during lockdown because I think people were so desperate for just escapism. And I mean, when I say escapism, I mean, you want a good story told well mm-hmm. and something that not necessarily you don't have to think too hard about, but I guess, I guess it's just a film that there, 
it, it can be digested easily if, if that's the right kind of word. And Tenet yeah. was just, I mean, just so laboured. Um, j- just on this idea, because obviously Tenet was released by Warner Brothers, and obviously one of the big pieces of news is, was was the deal that Warner's did um, in relation to having films appearing on HBO Max at the same time, and then obviously um, releases like Mulan going directly to Disney+. And Brian, I just want to get a sense from you. I mean, how do you think those kind of announcements and those deals are going to affect cinema, not only in 2021, but going forward? Will people still be coming in for, the, for all the big tentpole ones, or will people kind of be more used to watching films at home it's actually it's funny you mention that because i was reading a, an article i think it was the criterion channel had this article about micro cinemas and how they they think that that's going to be the thing going forward in the us to try save the um the idea of the cinema experience but no i mean like i'm actually quite bullish about it because i mean like 2019 ireland had the biggest uh, cinema attendance in the eu and 2019 and 2018 were the two biggest years for the entire cinema industry mm-hmm. and then obviously covid knocked that on its head i mean i do think it's gonna have to take a point of people feeling safe going back into a cinema because of how prevalent the pandemic has been with cinemas you know that's sort of way, the idea of like they're saying oh you know this virus is transmitted uh in enclosed spaces and what have you and a cinema is an enclosed space so there is that kind of fear but yet as we as we know there have been to my knowledge anyway in ireland there have been no outbreaks of covid tracked back to a cinema and of course cinemas are so very well ventilated and what have you. i think myself going into 2021 and hopefully we're up, we've broken the back of this and this time next year it'll all be a distant memory i don't think people are going to stop going to the cinema at all because you know, I remember on our site, we did this big survey to kind of ask people, like, what's the first thing you're going to do when lockdown ends and the pandemic is over? And I think the, the first two were like, one was go on a holiday, two was visit friends and family, and then third was go to a cinema. Mm-hmm. And I think people want escapism now more than ever. And not only that as well, they'll want a return to normality. They'll want to be able to do things that they did in the past and never gave a second thought. And in fact, they'll come back to it with a real sense of how much did I miss this? Oh, I, I can't believe how much I miss this. I love going to the cinema. So I don't think you're going to, I don't think audience figures are going to drop. I think if anything, I think they're going to go up. And we've actually, and we really noticed that. I mean, the two times that we reopened, I mean, admittedly the first time we had tennis, which was a bit, which was a big release. But even the second time, I think there was this, people were just really eager, not only I suppose to support the iFi and support cinemas, but they were just so eager to see something on a bigger scale than just watching it on the TV. Yeah, I mean, I don't care how good your telly is or how good your sound system is. Like, I'm sorry. And I, I know this is a podcast for the iFi and it sounds like it's a big advert, but it's the <laughs> truth. Like, you cannot... There is no way you can replicate the feeling of being in a cinema and seeing a giant face coming right at you. Like it just doesn't work. TV doesn't come into it. And as well as I I, I was talking about this before, the idea of being locked in a room and being forced, and not being forced, but like being locked in a room with no distractions and no way to kind of escape it. And you just have to experience it. Like you can't get that with a TV. I don't care how quiet your house is, whether you live alone or you live with screaming kids. You don't get that. You only get that in the cinema. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, like when you think of something like, say, like the Irishman, you know, for example, I think that was such a good example of people flocking to see that in the cinema because trying to watch that for three hours on Netflix is just not the same experience because you're, like you say, kind of forced to be in in the space in, in a good way in a world where we have 
a million and one distractions flying at us all the time. So I think people are probably more aware now of that kind of sacred space that cinema gives you, that it forces you into this kind of zone where you don't have to do anything else except be entertained or moved or whatever. Um, so I, I really do agree that people are not going to be forgetting about the cinema. Like I interviewed a few cinema owners um, kind of during the summer, I think it was last year, uh, or maybe it was near, maybe it was towards the end of the summer, but they were saying when the cinemas reopened, people were still coming in to, you know, in their droves to see films, particularly ones that like, they, a lot of the cinemas were just showing one or two new releases and then a load of, of older classic movies and people were coming in to see the older movies because they wanted the cinema experience you know it's, it's not just about seeing the new films and a lot of the decisions obviously around um you know say like HBO Max like you mentioned there like these are all business decisions being made by massive companies that have to try and you know keep their product out there try and um, make money save money um, they're not necessarily thinking about the impact on the small cinema in Ireland you know because these decisions are being made in offices far far away from here um, so I think you know I can understand why cinemas and distributors and you know production companies it's been a really difficult year for everybody involved in cinema but I think if you if you come back to the idea of cinema goers like people are are you know really willing to support cinemas as much as much as they can um the tricky thing though is that if there's social distancing you just can't fit as many people into the cinema as you could before so that's the really tricky thing going forward i think how that's going to develop because that affects how many people can go how many tickets you can sell how much money you can make you know um but like thinking about how it will affect things I keep thinking of you know like home taping is killing music you know from back in the 80s like home streaming is not really going to kill cinema I mean it might be other factors that are going to be difficult too but I think people will will keep on going um, because it is that special special space you know and it's the, it's the experiential aspect of it, but it's also, as I mentioned, that social aspect as well, where people, you know, really, really do engage with it. And funny, when, when that news around Disney Plus broke first and the HBO Max, the kind of one of the first thoughts I had was that this could actually be an opportunity for the larger multiplexes insofar as I mean, we've all had that experience when, you know, you go in the first weekend of Star Wars and it's showing on 11 screens and there's this one thing I mean is this an opportunity for those bigger screens to expand and the range of films that they show I think so yeah I don't see why not because I mean it's I think multiplexes have in in particular multiplexes have really seen this year that they cannot survive without new content mm. and that they need to start broadening their experience, broadening their kind of decision-making abilities. Like I said, they need to start looking at, you know, older films. They need to start looking at bringing in the idea of indie films, for example, like St. Maud, I saw Odin, I think, or something like that. And I, I guarantee you, if that had been, if this was normal times there, you would probably see, probably see St. Maud in like maybe one screen in an Odin and it'd be about like half five on a Thursday. And you'd probably see about three or four people and this would be squashed in between Black Widow and Suicide Squad or whatever. But because it would, because the cinemas were so kind of eager to show new films and to get more people in to see something that they hadn't seen, it was getting top billing and it was getting all the big kind of uh, blocks that it would have normally got. And I think it did well off the back of it. And yeah, and I think, I think, Coming out of this, I think cinemas are going to have to really, sorry, multiplexes, I should say, are going to have to reevaluate their uh, reliance on blockbusters. But also as well, I mean, from a production perspective, 
I think you're going to find studios now are going to have to start looking at how they've how they've structured their slates because you know before you'd have like say you know Disney for example they would put aside 400 million uh, for one big tentpole release and if they can't release that film they're in deep trouble but if it's staggered out like you know 10 million here 15 million here 20 million here 10 million here 30 million there and they've got like four or five six seven films I mean, that's what that's what Netflix are doing. Netflix are doing. They've basically got a slate for the year, and it's however much money, and they've basically broken it up into smaller increments, which allows smaller films like you know Malcolm and Marie or Mank or any of those films to be made on a smaller budget, and they're more experimental. Now, that doesn't necessarily help cinemas, but I think if they're prepared to lead in that regard to give smaller films, mid-range films a chance and see how they fare rather than putting all their eggs in one basket. I think that'll do it. And just to go back to the whole thing about HBO Max and that whole decision to to put both films on, uh, or sorry, to put films on HBO Max and to put them on cinemas. I mean, they're only doing that in the US and it's a pilot program. And I think the blowback that they've received from actual directors, like Denis Villeneuve, for example, was disgusted with it apparently and he wasn't even consulted on the, on the decision. And the fact that they've so publicly exarcated Warner Brothers for it, I think tells you that directors make films to be shown in the cinema. I don't think any director, I mean, I remember Nessa Hardiman was saying about Sea Fever. She was like, no, we made this for a cinema. We like the infrasound and all the, the sound design for it was made to be played in the cinema. I'm delighted that people are enjoying it on TV in streaming, but we made it for a cinema and it's meant to be shown in a cinema. So yeah. Before we leave 2020 behind, I do. I, I'm conscious that we're we're still in lockdown, so people may be looking for um, some recommendations for for good films from the last year that they're they're looking to catch up on. And Eva, the last time you were on the iFi podcast, um, we spoke at length about Moonstruck. Yeah. And since then, uh, John Patrick Shanley has had a new film out, and I was just wondering, was that on your best of 2020? <laughs> you know what? I I I haven't seen this yet, right? I've been very good because I could use a VPN to watch it, but it's not been released yet in in Ireland, so um, it's not on my uh, 2020 any best of um i'm uh, kind of we should say it, it, it's wild mountain time wild mountain time exactly about. um i actually yeah i can't believe it took us till now to, to bring this up but maybe it says a lot about the film um yeah like you know I, what can i say i'm kind of lost for words like <laughs> the trailer for it is just so wild and i'm really intrigued to see how they managed to kind of make a film that seems like it's set in the 1940s but also in like 2020 21 or whatever at the same time it's just I'm so embarrassed on behalf of all Moonstruck uh, fans. Sorry for setting you wrong there <laughs> about the about the like Oscar winning uh, Pulitzer Prize winning director and writer. Um, but yeah, no, so that that's not on my list. But uh, go see it of your own risk, I suppose. Um, a film that you both picked out, um, and one that I absolutely loved as well, was at the very start of the year, which was Uncut Gems, um, which was a, which was released on Netflix, but also got a cinema release. And I was so happy I saw it in the cinema because, as you were saying, your Ronnie, it's one of those films that you just can't pre- press pause on. You have to sit there and watch the whole two hours in one go. Oh my god, it's like a fever dream. It's you have to sit there and let it like wash over you and. 
it's such a great example of like so much attention paid to all of the filmmaking from like the soundtrack and the Safdie brothers directed and and wrote film but the soundtrack they they worked um with Daniel Opatan on it and they literally like crafted all these beautiful synth lines and we're sitting there in the studio putting together all these kind of cues and audio cues and stuff um you know at the start of the film you're in Ethiopia and then you're you know where this like big black opal is found and then you're you're brought to this the kind of bustling financial or kind of jewelry district diamond district in, in New York and you've got like these amazing amazing actors amazing roles I mean Adam Sandler is so amazing in it um and it's such an anxiety riven film as well like you're like on the edge of your seat feeling terrible for a lot of it but also really excited too and um, so yeah I mean that was one of my absolute favorite experiences um last year and it's got a brilliant ending the whole thing is great um and uh, I really like Eric Bogosian as well in it he has a really good um uh, appearance in it and I'd, I'd been watching Succession and being completely obsessed with Succession up to that point so seeing him appear in, in that was was a nice little easter egg I suppose as well too um but yeah what a film fantastic yeah and awards aren't everything but Brian I mean the fact that Adam Sandler didn't get an Oscar nomination for that was an absolute scandal absolutely and I mean like to be fair I mean I don't think Adam Sandler went into this with the kind of uh, idea that he was going to be nominated. You know, like I know, I actually do think his reasons for taking this were a lot more, in, 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 in more noble, if you know what I mean. Like, I mean, it wasn't sort of like you know hard to watch the movie kind of thing. He was actually doing this because he really believed in it. But um, yeah, it's 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 I oh my god, I just thought Uncle James was so good, and I, I, you're right. I am so delighted that I got to see it in the cinema. And I remember walking out of the press screen of her and I turned to, it was Jane Gannon actually. And we were like, this was like, it was basically like the last 20 minutes of Goodfellas stretched out to two hours where Henry Hill is like coked out of his brains and running around the place afraid of helicopters. It was like that, but two hours long. And it was like, that's exactly the kind of film that you want to see in the cinema. And again, not for the size of the screen, but for the idea of you can't push pause in it. You just have to just, inhale it you have to just snort it up in one go and and what a film like and and yeah like Adam Sandler like he was Adam Sandler drives me demented because when he wants to he can be a brilliant actor you only need to look at like Punch Drunk Love even The Wedding Singer like you know I love The Wedding Singer like it's such a good film and he was so kind of vulnerable and funny in it and Uncut Gems as well like he's this demented optimist like he's you know he's throwing away money like he doesn't care and he's just chasing this high but you can't help but root for him you can't help but want him to win there's a brilliant moment in the cinema i I can't remember the exact thing that happened in the film but it's something like he he got back to even like he got back to where he he was supposed to be and then he decided he was going to do another bet and then you could just hear the whole audience going oh it was just it was just magnificent Fast forwarding to this year's Oscars, and um, Brian, you've picked out a leading contender for this year, and that's Wolfwalkers. You know, the Cartoon Saloon. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. Like they are, are they are on par now with Studio Ghibli, as far as I'm concerned. I think you know Tom Moore. What they're doing over there is just beautiful, and I think Wolfwalkers has a. Re- I, th- I think it really does have a good. I, I I would give it good odds on it winning Best Animated Feature. Like I really would. Mm-hmm. Put Wolf Walkers in any other year, and it would I would still give a good odds and win the best animated feature. Um, but it was such a gorgeous film, like it was so beautiful. And, and I'm ashamed to admit I didn't get to see it in the cinema. I saw it on a on, on a screener link, and as I was watching, I was like, God, I wish I saw this in a cinema because yeah. 
The yeah. soundtrack from Kilo was beautiful. Seeing that hand-drawn animation on a big screen, I really wanted to see that. And again, it's that thing of being in a room and allowing it to wash over you. I didn't get that, but I still loved it. So I can only imagine everything I felt watching it would only be amplified seeing it in the cinema, you know? Yeah. I mean, every frame was a piece of art, you know, where the, and the, the way that they drew the perspective of the town versus the forest, it was just, it was absolutely stunning. So, so fingers crossed it, it picks up a big prize uh, in April. Aoife, you picked out a film as well that's currently uh, available to stream on iFi at home, and that's Host. Such an amazing example of uh, like quarantine, you know, COVID quarantine filmmaking, because I think the big question that people are going to be asking is like the effect of the last year on culture, on creativity, on what people create. And, you know, Host is one of those films where they just basically made it themselves while uh, England was in lockdown. It's like it was initially available on Shudder, which is like this kind of uh, like horror film site, um, which I had never gone to before because I'm I kind of I'm a bit scared of most horror films. And over the last few years, I've been like trying to absorb myself and what's been going on. Um, so this is a British film and it takes that idea. It's I mean, it's kind of seen as like a found footage kind of film, but it's not it's not really. It's about a group of friends who go online to a Zoom call and they go to do a seance. Um, and it's it's directed by a guy called called Rob Savage. And there's um six, I think it's uh, five women and one guy, and they have their their medium there who pops in, and it's just so well done and um, the key to it is that a lot of the people involved are actually involved in the kind of film industry anyway so there was one person there who I think is involved with doing stunts so they're able to kind of rig up a really impressive stunt that happens during the film and it just felt like you were watching people you knew in a situation you could be in and it goes horrifically wrong um, I was texting my friend Lauren who I do the podcast get around to it with because she told me to watch it and my my kind of like text to her got progressively more deranged the more scared I got of the film I was like I can't watch this oh my god why is she going there what's happening and um, so it's it's so good if you really want to be completely scared out of your wits I think watch that so that's the the Rob Savage one okay and there's two other films um I'd like to give a shout out to on iFight Home the first is The Painter and the Thief um, which is an incredible documentary from Norway about um a painter and a thief um, a thief who who steals um a painting of a, a Czech artist and the relationship that they develop um after that happens and also Collective which again is also in the running for Oscars this year um a, a Romanian documentary about um corruption in the health system which is absolutely fantastic I think my highlight of the year we're going back to, to films that we wish we'd seen in screen was the second film in the Steve McQueen series Small Axe um, Lover's Rock which has actually picked up some of the critics awards in the States which is kind of surprising because it's one film out of a series but absolutely just an incredible incredible film so if you, if you get a chance to watch Small Axe um, and Lover's Rock in particular I would, I would really recommend that I want to talk very briefly about New Year's resolutions um, I suppose every year we decide that we maybe want to break out of our usual viewing habits and do something a little bit different. Aoife, what have you got planned for this year? Maybe catching up on something that you've never seen or what are your plans? Yeah, so I had a couple of thoughts because one thing was I felt like there was a load of 2020 films I didn't get to see or ones that didn't kind of 
get some sort of a release here or still aren't weren't properly on streaming um like lingua franca is a film that i've had on my list for ages that i'm like how can i watch this film um and other ones that came out like back that got really good reviews that i didn't see so i want to catch up on a lot from last year um and i want to fill in a lot of gaps in kind of the late 60s early 70s you know both american and i think and, and uh, uk films it's such a an era that i love culturally but i feel like there's loads of ones that i i still need to need to crack there um and uh i'm looking back on my list from the year i watched a lot of american films you know and it felt very american heavy so i really want to kind of move uh, more away from from hollywood and make the most of the movie um subscription that we i'm sure you both have as well um and just kind of you know going into the films in different countries um i saw mark cousins as documentary women make film there last year which is just so great and so mind-blowing and he just treats every single country with the same respect and there's no kind of hollywood is the be all and end all about it and i think maybe that would be a really good jumping off point for me because it's all female directors as well too which is fab brian um i'm just gonna go to the cinema more under my own kind of steam um it's because like like i mean before normally i'd be in a cinema like two three times a week reviewing a film and I would normally not go on my own or not, not so much not that I wouldn't go on my own, but I normally wouldn't go for my own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And I think this year or sorry, 2020 has kind of proven to me that it is something that I need to do more of for myself as in just not to take it for granted again, you know, that sort of way. And whether it's just seeing some kind of forgettable horror film on a Thursday night in Rat Minds, or if it's like going to see some, art house film in the IFI that I wouldn't normally kind of catch I, I just want to go to the cinema f- for my own pleasure as opposed to going for work mm-hmm. and just really just to not take the cinema experience for granted anymore Absolutely um, and sp- more specifically then um, Aoife are there any films in 2021 that you are itching to see that you can't wait to see whenever they get released? Yeah I'm, I can't wait to see Minari um, Stephen Yun is in that he's a really great Korean American actor he plays one of the leads in it and I, um, he was in Burning which came out I think 2019 which I, I didn't like the manic pixie dream girl element to it but I loved the rest of it so beautiful um, The Nest as well um, Carrie Coon is in that she's amazing Nomad Land, which is getting just stunning reviews um and a quiet place part two i want to be in the cinema having the wit scared out of me uh, watching a quiet place part two like please let that happen in 2021 i don't want to watch it at home and brian you had nomad Land on your list as well i did yeah nomad Land. my god I, I just i so want to see that um everything i've seen about it so far has been just making me more desperate to see it and francis mcdormand as well like i mean I, I would watch her reading the phone book and I would be <laughs> completely enraptured and entertained by it. Um, the other two films, I'm ashamed to say, aren't uh, so art house. They're big, dumb blockbusters. But I just, I mean, one is Dune because I'm a giant uh, Dune freak. Um, I've, I reread Dune over lockdown and I read like Children of Dune and Dune Messiah when I was a spotty faced teenager. So I'm obsessed with that world and I really, really want to see what Frank, really want to see what Denis Villeneuve does with it. And then, um, and again, I'm ashamed to admit this, I want to see Mission Impossible 7. I want to see what Tom Cruise was shouting about number one. <laughs> worth it. But, um, but also as well, I mean, I think Christopher McQuarrie is such a, such a fantastic director. I mean, you go back and watch stuff like The Way of the Gun. Like, he is a director that knows how to stage and how to pace action. And I think, you know, Fallout was, a, was for me, one of the best action films of the past 10 years. So if he's going in with the mentality of I've got to top myself, I've got to top that. Yeah. I just really want to see what he does with it. Like 
Yeah, because I, I, I stumbled on uh, the, the last film, the one with Henry Cavill in it there, recently on TV, and I was like, oh, there's there there it is, flicked it on, watched it for five minutes, and then 45 minutes later, I was still watching it, even though I'd already seen it. I thought it was it, it was great fun, but slightly ridiculous, but like, it's just so engaging, and the stunts are always mind-blowing, so that is definitely one that I'll be I'll be checking out, like, it's 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 it's, it's such a great franchise. I think it's a little bit, un- I think it's a little bit underrated as a franchise as well. I think so, yeah, because, I mean, I, I was kind of talking to somebody about this like it's a very kind of like it doesn't have the same baggage i think as james bond like there isn't that sort of misogynist component about it like and the fact is as well that it's quite apolitical i think like you don't necessarily kind of see him being like the all-american hero if you like it's like the team that he normally runs with are usually uh multicultural like i remember in mission possible three it was it was maggie q and jonathan reese myers and um simon Pegg, and it's a franchise, I think, that leans into its own ridiculousness. I mean, there are so many moments in Fallout that are just like, it's like Charlie Chaplin-esque or Howard Lloyd-esque <laughs> kind of ridiculousness. But it leans into it, like, it leans into it. And I think I think a lot of action films could benefit with an awareness, an awareness of how ridiculousness they are. Because, like, you look at something like, you know, Spectre, and it's just so maudlin and it's so kind of, ugh that you wish they had a sense of fun about it and i think mission impossible definitely has that yeah i I have to i am looking forward to james bond i'm a bit of a james bond fan skyfall was one of the best action films i've seen i mean i saw that on opening weekend and was just like i'm going to see that straight away again like i thought it was so so good so no time to die whenever it lands (laughs) because it's never it's never been pushed into november again that was really like the canary in the coal mine for the cinema kind of industry wasn't really like in 2020 it was like as soon as the news was coming about that being moved it was like you know because that's a huge amount of money and everything that's involved with that so yeah i mean maybe that'll be the big maybe that'll be like the tenet that we meant to have in a completely different way um this year who knows like it'll be good crack anyway sure Exactly. And Aoife, you'd mentioned one other film as well, um, the new Wes Anderson, The French Dispatch, which was meant to be in yeah. Cannes last year, but has been pushed now into kind of autumn this year. Exactly. Another one that like, you know, you feel like you should have seen already, but obviously we don't know where we're going to watch it. And, um, you know, it's about a fake uh, newspaper and it's got such a great uh, cast to it. It's got lots of the, the usual heads that you see in his movies. And then you've got people like Timothy Chalamet um, turning up too. So it looks wonderfully twee. Um, every single frame looks as beautifully composed as he always has. Um, and yeah, I think that'll be a nice bit of escapism when that eventually does appear. But it is weird, isn't it? Like having films and trailers hanging around for like years almost at this stage you know or what feels like years um and not knowing when you'll see the film that is that is kind of a, a bit odd but um i think we'll hopefully get minari anyway in march all going to plan so i'll be looking forward to that one at least yeah well fingers crossed we're going to have a much more uh, cinema heavy year yes. in 2021 Aoife brian thank you so much for joining us thank you thank you that's all from this week's ifi podcast we'll be back next week i hope you'll join us then The iFi podcast is produced by the Irish Film Institute. The Irish Film Institute is principally funded by the Arts Council. The iFi is a charity. For more information on how to support its work, visit ifi.ie forward slash support. <laughs>